Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen, 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 amen. I was reading during prayer just the 143rd Psalm. Amen. You know, when we're praying for God to do a work, we can certainly appeal to his compassion and his sympathy by pleading our case and pleading our cause, but we can't really do it and say, God, do it because I earned it. You know, and we can say, you know, plead again, God, would you, you know my plight? Would you have compassion on me? But I, I like David at the end of the 143rd Psalm. He starts out in there talking about his situation, pleading toward the sympathy of God. But I think toward the end of the Psalm, he understands, maybe advances in wisdom. And then he just says, you know what, Lord, I need you to do this for your name's sake. God, for your righteousness sake, would you bring my, me out of my trouble? Amen. God, for your name's sake. And I think we can pray. Lord, do these miracles for your namesake so that your reputation, not because I've earned it, not because I'm good enough. Lord, don't, don't just do it for my sake, but do it for your namesake. Yes, Lord, that even tonight, God, for your namesake, Lord, that the fame of your name, God, would be exalted. Lord, that the fame of your name, God, would be extended, that people would hear Lord, the miracle that you have worked and that your name would be exalted. Lord, that there are people in this community right now, Lord, they don't really know who you are. They don't really know about your power. And so, God, if you'll do these works tonight for the sake of your name, God, that you would do them. For the sake of your name, that you would heal. In the sake of your name, you would deliver. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. We're going to go ahead right now and dismiss. Uh, the children's class, the move. I think the youth are going to stay in here tonight. One more time, would you, uh, while we're transitioning, would you find four or five people tonight and greet them and let them know that you're glad they're here? Or hope you know, tell them you're glad they're here. Express to them that you're glad they're here. Amen. And we're going to continue our Wednesday night Bible study. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 5. Amen. What a great chapter in the Bible. All of them are. I, Brother Eric Sanchez was teaching Sunday, and I, I don't remember how he said it, but I thought it was uh, fitting, but it was also powerful. He just said it in passing about one verse of scripture that was so good and they said well they're all good Amen. every every word in the scripture is good profitable every word is profitable for reproof for instruction for doctrine for correction amen that we could be built up amen strengthened by the word of god amen mark chapter 5 and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 20 did i ask you to stand I know you normally do. You can, you can be seated because we're going to read a little bit lengthier of a passage. Thank you for your respect and reverence for the Word of God. 
But because we're going to be reading such a lengthy portion tonight, I'm going to allow you to be seated. Um, I do want to say thank you to everybody who came out last week for the consecration services. We battled through it. We battled through sickness and travel and all kinds of things. But I think great things were accomplished last week. So thank you guys for coming out. And thank you for being here Sunday. I know it was a holiday weekend. And again, a lot of people were out because of sickness and travel and whatnot. But we still had a great service on Sunday. And most importantly, thank you for being here tonight. Amen. And to those that are joining us online, our E-family as we like to call them. Amen. Wherever you're joining us from, we're uh, thankful that you joined us uh, through the uh, advance of the internet and technology. All right, let's start with verse 1. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. The Bible says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man, or rather out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. The Bible says about that man that he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar off, he ran, fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is is legion, for we are many. Amen. That's a spooky statement right there. I am legion, for we are many. When people start talking in the plural, I, my spidey senses tingle. Amen. We had a few years ago, we did a vacation Bible school, and there was a, a child, honestly, a child that was there that it was obvious that it was more than just behavior issues. And so the vacation Bible school teachers came and got me and said, Pastor, we need you to come out here. And uh, anyway, through the course of conversation, the, the young man looked at me and said um, in a weird voice, we don't like you. There's so many things about that statement. The tone of voice, the plurality that you're using. In fact, anyway, but uh, so I don't know why... Wandered off onto that. My name is Legion, for we are many. And then the Bible says he begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. It's amazing when we need deliverance, but we don't want to be too delivered. Right? Deliver me, but don't don't send them out of the country. Don't don't get too don't let you know, I want you to deal with my sin, but don't let it get too far away from me that I can't go back to it if I want to. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter in them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Amen. And uh, I want to talk to us tonight. We are continuing our series throughout the summer on the cornerstones. Uh, I know kind of started that back in, I think it was late May, where I had preached a message about Jesus being our cornerstone and kind of continuing on that, talking about things that are the cornerstone of our uh, that we build upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, amen, the, the, and the, the, so these foundational stones of our walk with God, and I want to continue tonight by talking about the cornerstone of evangelism, amen, um, I, I don't, I think evangelism is obviously for our world, but I think it's also important for us, amen, it's important for our salvation, if, if, if we would, if we stay involved in the work of the kingdom, if we stay involved in um, in, in reaching lost souls, uh, I, I think you, you learn, if, if, when you do a Bible study with somebody, you learn more about the scripture than you could ever learn any other way, because they're going to ask you questions, all right, and you're going to have to dig into the scripture. If you really want to, you know, give them the right answers, you can't just give them whatever comes to your mind. You've got to dig into the scripture and give them biblical answers. So uh, uh, teaching, if you haven't taught a Bible study, I recommend it, highly recommend it. It's uh, teaching a Bible study is good for your uh, kind of grounding your faith as much as it is for them. So evangelism is a cornerstone. It's a cornerstone of our walk with God. Uh, it's a cornerstone of what we're called to do, right? The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's, that commission was given to the church, amen? So the first thing that I want to look at in verse number, uh, verses 9 through 13. So if we could look back at Mark 5. Beginning in verse 9, uh, Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And he replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then he begs him earnestly, don't send these demons out of the country. And the Bible says that there was a herd of pigs that was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him, these, that would be the demons, begged Jesus saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. And then verse 13, so he gave them permission. So Looking at this portion of this uh, narrative of one of the miracles of Jesus, Jesus comes to this broken, hurting man that is possessed by spirits, and the unclean spirits immediately recognize the authority of Jesus. Right Before Jesus ever addresses the man, the Bible says that the man, when he sees Jesus, he runs to him. Right? I guess once, you know, you ever been you know, in a place and... Um, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically, I've never, uh, maybe, maybe or maybe not have done this, but you see somebody off at the distance that maybe you're not wanting to get in the, I'll use Eric, he said to myself, Eric talked about this Sunday, about that neighbor, that you know if you get into conversation with them, you know you're going to be there for a while, so you're, you don't think they saw you, so you dart off trying to avoid that conversation. Eric did that, not me, Eric did that. Um, but, I think the, the, the man with the demons knew that Jesus had spotted him, so it's no use running. So he just goes ahead and confronts it. He runs to Jesus, 
And the Bible says he falls down and worships him. Now, this is a man possessed with demons. He runs to Jesus, falls down, and worships him. Now, this isn't the, the core of my teaching tonight, but I think there's some kind of a subtopic or a subteaching that we can kind of uh, dive into a little bit. And I would say that the point that we could take from this is that the ability and the desire to worship in and of themselves are not indicators of relationship with God. Right? Yes, worship is good, but you say, well, I worship, so therefore I must be good with God. Well, a man filled with legions of devils worship. So just worship in and of itself is not evidence that we're in right standing with God. Right? Now, I would say it's kind of sad that a demon-possessed man had more sense than some saints. Right? A demon-possessed man had enough sense to go and worship God, and, we, uh, and there are saints in churches, not here ever, I know, but other churches that refuse to worship God. I mean, in the middle of church service, they're sitting there clipping toenails or maybe fingernails. And, you know, say that would never happen in church. Oh, we find them. We find nails, fingernails, and cleaning day. And I, I don't know beyond my understanding why we would do that, but uh, a demon-possessed man had more sense than some saints. He said, you know, there's Jesus, I'm going to worship him. But the evidence that God is at work in our lives is not just, anybody can worship God. All right, demon-possessed man, a man not just demon-possessed, legions of demons. Perhaps the most demon-possessed man in all the scripture that we ever find is this man, and yet he has enough sense to go and run and fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him. But that's not evidence that God is at work in him, because at that point, Jesus hadn't done anything in the man's life. All that Jesus had done was got off a boat and this man runs and, and, and kneels down at the feet of Jesus. And I think sometimes we like the emotion of worship, but that's as far as we go in our walk with God. That's not evidence that God is at work in your life just because you come to church and worship God. The devil can do that, all right? He did it in this situation. That the evidence that God is at work in our lives is transformation. It's not worship, it's transformation. When there is a before and there is an after, that's evidence that God is working in our life. It's the transformation that we allow. That's the key point, that we allow God to make in our lives. All right, the word worship that is used there literally means to kiss. All right? it, it speaks of bowing down in reverence to someone such as a king. Right? You recognize that this person is of higher authority, they're of nobility, and so we make our, uh, ourselves um, uh, prostrate before them and we show reverence unto them. All right, And, and uh, to many, worship is the evidence of transformation. But again, a legion of demons can worship. But only a disciple allows God to transform them. All right, Worship is not evidence. But the evidence of discipleship is that there is a before and there's an after. There's who I used to be and there's who I am now. Amen. There's who I once was, and there's who I am now. I was blind, but now I see. Amen. I was lost, but now I, of the old song, Amazing Grace. Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now when there's a before and an after, that's evidence that God is working in our lives. And I believe the enemy is trying to take that most powerful quality out of the church today. And, and we got churches all around America that worship is abundant, right? We got worship experiences. You can go and worship, but we're trying to take the most powerful element of what God can do 
is change a life. He can rescue a sinner. Amen. He can take us from lost to found, from blind to seeing. Amen. We need the transforming power of God. We don't need just another worship experience. We need the transforming power of God. We need people to walk in this building and say, I used to be that, but now I'm this. Amen. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I used to be bound, but now I'm set free. My mind used to be tormented, but now I've got peace. It wasn't the worship, but it was the change that, was, that is, is what makes evidence that Jesus is at work in our lives. And I would say in this demoniac, it's the change that takes place. Not his, when he worships, he's still possessed with demons. But there's a before and after. And, and I think by looking at the before and after of this demoniac, we can look at some things in our lives that should transform. The first thing is where we hang out. There should be a before and an after. I don't go where I used to go. Amen? I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't hang out the same places I used to hang out. The Bible says about this demoniac that at one time he lived among the tombs. Before Jesus showed up in his life, the Bible says day and night he was in the tombs. I might be there in the day, but I'm definitely not going to be there at night. I might go visit the graveyard in the day, but I won't be there at night. But the Bible says he lived there. He lived in the tombs. But what happened after Jesus? The Bible said in verse 19, Jesus tells the man to go back to his home. And the Bible says that's what he does. Let me tell you, when Jesus moves into your life, when the transforming power of God, it ain't just going to be that you worship on Sunday. It's going to be where you hang out on Monday is going to be different. Where you hang out at on Friday night ain't going to be the same as it used to be. Well, no, I came and I worshiped. That's not evidence that God is working in your life. Evidence of God working in your life is you don't go where you used to go. I don't hang out the same places I used to hang out. I don't feel at home in the tombs anymore. I'm going back to where my family is at. I'm going back to where my friends are at. Amen. I don't belong there anymore. That's a transforming work of God. Let's go further. Everybody was good with that one, right? Good. Let's dig a little deeper. Secondly is his appearance. And I'm not going to stretch this too far and try to make the Bible say something it didn't. But I think it speaks for itself. Verse eight, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 27, which is Luke's account of this same passage. And I, I believe Mark bears it out as well. But before, Luke 8, 27 tells us that this man used to wear no clothes. He would run around in the tombs naked. That's a jaybird, as they used to say. I don't know. Jaybirds get a bad, bad rap on that one. But Mark 5 and 15 tells us after Jesus, the people from the city come and they find this man clothed. Let me tell you, evidence of Jesus at work in your life, amen, the, not just that you can worship. I'm glad you can worship. But there should be some changes to you, even your outer appearance. Amen. There should be some changes to your, not just your attire. I believe, well, God doesn't care about that. And people take one scripture where the Bible said that God looks, it's not the outer, God looks on the heart. That was Samuel looking for a king. And people take that one verse so far out of context and build a doctrine out of it that God doesn't care about what you wear. Can I tell you, God cares about every part of you. God cares about every part of your life. Amen. And I believe he cares about your attire. I believe he cares about your, uh, your, your, uh, what's, your facial expressions, your expressions. 
Valerie's going to really help me. She's like, he's struggling right now. He needs a word. <laughs> he cares about every part of you. Amen. He cares about your demeanor. He cares about all of that. Amen. Worship is good. But a man filled with demons can worship. Deliverance, can I, in, the, in the situation here, and I believe in our lives, when Jesus is at work in your life, it will take you from vulgarity to modesty. Modesty is a sign that God is at work in your life. Well, did you see the way that man was looking at me? That would be something that a woman would say probably, hopefully. Did you see the way he was checking me out? That pervert was looking at me like that. Amen. Well, you can't be too upset when you put a for sale sign in your yard and then somebody asks you how much the house costs. If you're advertising things, don't get upset when people are looking at you a certain way. Modesty, modesty in our appearance, modesty in our behaviors. Everything about our, our lives as a child of God, there should be moderation there. Amen. There should be, moder- there should be modesty in the way we appear. In our, we are a representation of Jesus Christ in everything that we do, everywhere we go. We are representing him. And one of the, well, I worship. God doesn't care about my, he, oh, he, God does care. I'm glad you can worship, but the sign that God is at work in your life is not your worship. The sign that God is at work in your life is transformation. Y'all still all right? Told you we are going to dig deeper. Let's go one more, since y'all said you're still good. Mark 5 and 5 said that this man was night and day crying out and cutting himself with stones. That was before Jesus. After, though, it said they found him clothed and... In his right mind. If you're in your right mind, you're not going to be cutting on yourself. If, if, if the Bible says this man before, he would just cry out, just no reason. Just blah! I don't know what was happening. Right? Just crying out. Or whatever came through his head, he spoke it out. Right? That's not a right mind. People, well, I'm just, you don't know me, Pastor. I just speak my mind. Well, that's what the demoniac did too. He just, whatever came in his head, he blurted it out. All right? But when there's an, the after for this man was he was in his right mind. Amen. When a right mind, the after for a child of God is I'm in control of my conversation. I don't just say whatever comes to my mind. I don't just blurt out whatever I'm thinking. I don't even just put on Facebook whatever I'm thinking. I don't just put, amen, in my text messages whatever I'm thinking. I'm in control of my mind. Why? I'm more than a worshiper. I'm a disciple because God is transforming my life. Evidence that God is working in your life is your conversation is going to be transformed. Well, God doesn't care what I put on Facebook. Oh, yes, he does. Absolutely God cares what you put on Facebook. You are a representation of Jesus Christ, and he cares about every aspect of your life. Not harming yourself. The Bible said before the man was cutting himself. And I think we had a wave of that. It seems, you know, about 15 years ago there was a wave of that that came through society, maybe even less than that. It seems like the devil just moved on to some other tactics. I mean, all that was was the devil acting up. Spirits of depression, anxiety, and worry, and the only way people could find release from that anxiety is by cutting themselves. But that's not the only way we hurt ourselves. I've heard people, oh, you got to just let them start talking, and they tear themselves down. They can't find anything good to say about themselves. 
Every time they open them, well, I'm not this, and I'm not that, and I'm, I'm this. And you need to stop speaking that kind of stuff over your life. Amen. All you're doing is tearing your, and the evidence that God is at work in your life is there going to be a transformation in that. The Bible said that man was in his right mind. I believe when you're in your right mind, you're speaking the goodness of God over your life. Don't confirm what the devil has to say about you. Amen. Don't confirm what the enemy is saying about you. Amen. I, I, don't, I don't speak good about myself because of me, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. I speak good about myself because God is at work in my life, because God is transforming me. And, cha- and I'm telling you, some of you, you can't get ahead. You, you can't succeed in life because every time you start to, you cut yourself down. Well, if you look like I did, you would. T- See, that, that's what I'm talking about. I hear you guys talk sometimes. I'm like, why, why are you... The Bible says life and death are in your tongue. Amen? Life and death are in your tongue. Why would you want to speak death over yourself? Speak life over yourself. Speak blessings. Amen? The evidence that God is at work in our lives is not our Sunday worship. It's not how much we lift our hands on Sunday, how we dance on Sunday. It's the transformation. It's, it's God taking us from before and giving us an after. I used to be that, but now I'm this. I once was that, but now I'm this. I used to talk that way, but now I talk like this. I used to go there, but I don't go there. There should be a before. And guess what? God is always transforming So 10 years from now, I'm going to be able to look back at this guy and say, I used to be that, but now I'm this because I'm always growing. So back to the main point of what I want to talk to us about tonight from this passage. This man possessed with a legion of demons runs to Jesus, and the Bible says that demons spoke out of this man and begged Jesus, saying, Send us into the pigs. Demons begged Jesus. And Jesus gave them what they asked for. Jesus said, all right, if it's pigs you want, go get some bacon. He gave them, he gave, he gave them what they wanted. He gave demons what they asked for. Let's move to verse 14 through 17. So put that one, kind of jot that down. That's the first, first occasion we're going to look at. The second one is here in verse 14. The Bible said that the herdsmen fled and told, this, told in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The Bible says that the people from the city heard the news of how that Jesus had delivered this man from a legion of demons. How many of you know not everybody is going to be excited about what Jesus is doing in your life? They're going to want you to go back to who you were before. God's going to start making changes in your life, and some people aren't going to like that, and they're going to be like, we like the old Jason. Right? We, we like the old Sister Belle. We, we like that. We like the old, who you used to be. That's who we, we want you to go back to that. They didn't come rejoicing. They weren't there to glorify Jesus. They didn't have a worship service. They weren't there to, to magnify him. Amen. But instead, that's what I would expect. If the story went the way that I thought it should go, 
they would have come and said, wow, look at what a great man Jesus is. He took our friend who used to live among the tombs naked all day and cutting himself, and he delivered him from that, and now he's clothed and in his right mind. But they weren't happy with that. Amen. They, they, they begged. In fact, the Bible says their response was they begged Jesus, leave our region. Not everybody's going to be excited when you start getting delivered. If you're looking for high fives from this world, it ain't going to happen. If you're looking for this world to affirm the changes God is making in your life, it's not going to happen. Not everybody is going to be excited that you put your clothes back on. True. There's going to be people that like the old person. Ain't everybody going to like your modesty. Ain't everybody going to like that. They're going to want you to go back to what you, you, they don't care that you were cutting yourself. They don't care that you had no peace. They don't care that you were tormented. They were just more comfortable because when you're in your sin, it makes them more comfortable with their sin. Not everybody's going to be happy when you move out of the tombs and move back into your home. But the Bible says they begged Jesus to leave. Well, what did he do? Verse 18. And as he was getting on the boat, Jesus said, you want me to leave? I'll leave. Demons, you want pigs? Okay, have pigs. You guys want me to leave? I'll leave. So that's our second instance. So he gives the demons what they want. And he gives the unbelievers what they want. But let's go to verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He begged Jesus, let me come with you. And Jesus did not permit him. Demons beg him and he says, you can have what you want. Unbelievers beg him. And he says, you can have what you want. But this man, if anybody had made a request that we would think he should get what he's asking for, he wants to be with Jesus. I mean, isn't that what we should all want is to be with Jesus, to spend time with him? Amen. But the Bible says Jesus did not permit him. I, 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 I can't wrap my head around that. You give the demons what they want. You give unbelievers what they want. But this man who used to be controlled by demons, now he wants to get on the boat and be close to Jesus and you won't give him what he wants. Can I tell you what this emphasizes? It emphasizes the importance of evangelism. How much Jesus cares that not just you, but the world around you is changed. How many of you would agree that if anybody was asking for a good thing, it was that man? If anybody should have got what he was asking for, it should have been that man. But Jesus did not just transform the demoniac so he could get on the boat and eat, you know, eat fish and chips and get on the sailboat with Jesus. He transformed him because he had a mission for him. Jesus didn't just change you so you could come into church and just sit through church. He didn't, he, he's not transforming you so you can become a dormant part of the church. That's not it at all. He changed you. He's transforming you because he's got a mission for you. Because there's a world out there waiting for you. He didn't transform our lives so we could all come in here and become some docile Christians that live in our little Christian bubble. He didn't just deliver us so that we can all sit around clothed and in our right mind, although I hope we do that. But that's not it. There's more than that. It's, that's, that's not the reason that he is transforming us. He's not transforming us for that, but he gave the demoniac a template 
for evangelism that every person in this room who has been transformed can follow. All right, this template, when Jesus told that man, you can't get on your boat, and then the next phrase, the next sentence that he shares is a three-step template that everybody in this building, everybody in this building that's being transformed or in the process of being transformed or has been transformed, you can follow this template of evangelism. First of all, he told the man, go home to your friends. The, the, the word home there is the Greek word oikos, which speaks, first of all, of a physical house. But in the Greek, it speaks of more than just your physical house. It also speaks of family. But really, it speaks of your circle of influence. That's an oikos. He says to that man, go back to your circle of influence. He says, go to the waiter in the restaurant that you have learned his name. Go to the neighbors that live down the street. He says, I'm not, I can't permit you to get back on the boat because I need you to go back to your circle of influence. There are people back home where you live that need what I just did for you. They need me to do it for them. So I need you to go back to your circle of influence. Listen, we can come into the church and we can become so inoculated and so docile that all this thing is to us is about us coming to church and look what God did for me. Yes, God did that for you, but now go back to your oikos. Go back to your workplace. Go back to your, your, your neighborhood. Amen. Go back to your family members. Go back to the world around. There are people that you will touch that I'll never touch. There are people that you know that I will never know. Amen. But God did not just save us so we could all become a part of a, 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 a just a, a lazy, lackadaisical church. No, he saved us so that we could go back and influence our world. I can't let you on the boat. I can't let you on the boat. Amen. I, I believe in the Holy Ghost. God is saying to this church tonight, I can't let you on the boat because there's people in this community right now that are lost. Amen. There are people in this city right now that they need me to do for them what I did for you. So I can't let you on the boat. Hallelujah. The second thing he tells them is once you go back to your oikos, how many of you know it? How many of you know your oikos? I, th I think one thing I read said an oikos is 10 to 15 people that you influence. It's your inner circle. How many of you can think of your oikos, the 10 to 15 people closest to you, out, outside of here? I, I know after a while we get so just plugged into the church that we, we don't have an oikos outside of here. And, and, and there's obviously good to building relationships in the church, but what good is the salt? If it's not flavoring anything. He said salt that doesn't have any flavor is good for nothing but to throw down the ground. They, in Bible days when salt lost its flavor, the only thing they could do with it, they would throw it down in, in footpaths to keep flowers and weeds from growing so that the footpath could be seen. He said when we lose our salt, when we're no longer flavoring our world, and the only way you can flavor the world is you got to have some connections. Amen. Again, you got to be the influence there. That's, that's important. But you got to have some influence there. So the first thing that we do, we need to identify tonight our oikos. You got a pen and paper or an iPad or iPhone with a notepad on there. I want you to write down five names. Your oikos outside of here. Well, I don't have any. Go meet your neighbors. I don't know if I have neighbors. You do. Somewhere they're there. Okay, who's your oikos? Who's your, all of us can do this. If you got a before and an after, you can do this. 
Who's your oikos? Mike and Jen Hawkins are my oikos. Paco and Mandy Quedlin are my oikos. I like that word oikos just sounds cool to say, so I'm going to keep saying it. But who's yours? Who's your, who's your circle of influence? It's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's Tom at Longhorn. All right? It's, it's the waiter, the waitress that you become connected to. All right? That's your oikos. That's, that's who Jesus is saying, go back to your circle of, don't get on the boat. Don't, get on, don't come into church and just be comfortable here. I didn't save you so you could come in here and float to heaven. I saved you so you could go back to your circle of influence. Y'all doing it right now? Writing down some names? A few of you. Jeopardy music. Not me, Pastor. Yeah, we're going to wait for you. For you. Cassie said, this is my first service. It's already getting awkward in here. All right, write, write, really, write it down. Second thing, he says, okay, go back to your home, go to your oikos, go to your circle of influence, and don't just go back to them. I want you to go back to them and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That's step two in, in evangelism. Every, if, you, if you have it before and then after, this shouldn't be hard. If you don't have it before and after, you're not going to know what to do here because I don't, I don't know what the Lord's done for me. Okay, when, when he's done something for you, you won't have to ask yourself what he's done. You will know what he's done. All right, go and tell them the great things, great things. I like that. The great things that the Lord, how many of you know the great things that God has done for you? How many of you got a testimony? You know, guess what he said, now I, you can't get on the boat because I need you to go back to your oikos and I need you to tell them the great thing. I can't let you on the boat. I'll give the devils what they want and I'll give the unbelievers what they want, but I can't give you what you want because it's more important to me that you go back to your 10 or 15 friends and you tell them about the great things that God has done for you. We need to tell our testimony this community needs to be turned upside down by testimonies. There are people sitting in this church tonight that you used to be bound by drugs and you used to be alcoholics and you, your marriages were about destroyed, but the only people that know that story are us. Every five years when we do a deliverance testimony service or a cardboard service and we write on one side what used to be and the other side, that's awesome. I, we need to celebrate that. But you know who needs to know that more than us? Them. People out there need to know that Jesus still delivers from drug addiction. They need to know that Jesus still delivers from alcoholism. They need to know that Jesus still puts marriages back together again. Amen. So go back to your oikos and tell them all the great. I can't let you on the boat. We can't. I believe God is going to trouble the waters of this church. Amen. Because God is not interested in us coming and having comfortable church. He's interested in us reaching our world and telling people all the great things that God has done for us. We need to constantly be finding ways to talk about the goodness of Jesus. Well, I'm afraid of what they'll think. Are you kidding me? All the things that people are telling people these days, ain't no shame in anybody's game anymore. They're telling everything. And we're afraid to tell people how good Jesus has been. 
No, we, the church has got to get over that. It's a, there's a problem when our world, as sick as it is right now, is emboldened and the church is still in hiding. It's time for us to come out of hiding and start talking about all the good things that God has done for us. And then the third step, and I'm not going to be real long tonight. But the third step, he said, all right, first thing, go back to your friends, your oikos. Secondly, tell them all the great things that God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. We like to kind of uh, put our testimony through a, a wash cycle before we share it. We clean it up a bit, right? Well, you know, I used to have some problems. Some problems? I mean, you were done. Your marriage was done. Right, your mind was tormented. You were a mess. Don't don't clean it up. Oh, yeah, I, I had a little problem. Yeah, you, you were done. Amen. You, I, I won't even get into how the details of yours, but I know my testimony. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't. I had a few problems. It was I needed Jesus. Nobody else could do for me what I needed done. I was a demoniac. I was living in the tombs and I was cutting myself night and day. You need to go back to your oikos and tell him how God had mercy on you. Amen. That if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd still be in the tombs. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd still be cutting myself. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be dead by now. You need to not, don't leave out the bad stuff because our world needs to know that Jesus reaches to the uttermost. He had mercy on me. He had mercy on me. He rescued me. He delivered me. He reached down into the miry clay and picked me up. He set my feet on the rock this day and established my going. Come on, somebody. How many of you remember? I know we get a few years removed and we forget where he brought us from. Come on, we get a few years removed and a couple shout services removed from where he brought us from and we forget how bad it was. Amen. But Jesus said to that demoniac, I need you to go back. Don't get on this boat. Somebody out there needs to know that I'm a merciful Savior. Somebody needs to know that I can bring people out of the tombs. Somebody needs to know that I can deliver. Somebody needs to know that I can set free. Are you thankful tonight that he is a merciful Savior? Come on, are you thankful tonight that he is merciful? Are you thankful tonight that he didn't just get the bad ones, he gets the really bad ones? Come on, he reached down further than I ever thought he would, and he rescued me. Come on. Come on, hallelujah. And, and we celebrate and I'm Brett and Bridget, we use you guys all the time. You're probably tired of it. But how God put your marriage back together again 20 years ago, right? But how many of your neighbors know that? And I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm just saying symbolic of all of us. How, many, how, many, how much of our world knows just how merciful God was? Because our world is broken right now. Our world... Our world symbolizes that man living in the tombs. They're living with dead things. Amen. They've got no hope. They've got no future. But you know what? When somebody walks into their world and says, I've been where you're at. I've been what you're going through. I remember what it was like to cut myself. I remember what it was like to be so out of my mind that I would just scream out. I remember to not have control over my vocabulary and my words. But Jesus had mercy on me. Our world needs to know that he is a merciful Savior. He doesn't just save good people. 
He saves really, really, really bad people. He doesn't just heal some cases. He heals really, really, really broken cases. Three steps all of us can do. Go back to our oikos. Well, I don't have one. Get one. Get one. Go meet your neighbors. Take them some cookies. Make sure there's no crazy stuff in the cookies. Take them some cookies. Take them some brownies. All right? Have DoorDash delivered to them. Whatever. Build you an oikos. And then tell them of the goodness of Jesus. Tell them all the great things that God has done. When they look at you and say, wow, look how great. No, it ain't me. Trust me, this ain't me. This is all God. Don't take that as an opportunity. Well, you know, I graduated cum laude from, uh, you know, I, I, I did. You missed an opportunity. It ain't you. I don't care what you graduate. It ain't you. It's God. Amen. Give God the credit. Give God the glory. And then tell them how merciful God has been. That's why you can't get on the boat, demoniac. It's not because I hear the prayer request of a demon more than I do a man who's been delivered. It's because I need you to go back to your world. Amen. Because evangelism is the heartbeat of God. Amen. God is saying the living hope, everybody's on the boat now. But I need you to get back off the boat and go back to your oikos and go back to your community and go back to the people around you and tell them all the great things I've done and tell them how merciful I've been. The final verse, verse 20, tells us how that he went his way and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Now, first time I read that, second time, probably every time I've read that, I thought Decapolis was the name of a city. Anybody else think that? All right, I'm not alone. All of you theologians were like, not me. I knew exactly what it was. A Decapolis. All right, that was not the, it was not the name of a city, but it was a league of 10 cities. Interestingly enough, one of those 10 cities was the city of Philadelphia. This man went back through 10 cities. He said, well, I couldn't get on the boat, but I'm, I'm going in 10 cities. He didn't just go to one. He didn't just go to the one he was from. He went to all of the surrounding cities. And the Bible says everywhere he went, people marvel. People are amazed at his testimony. You mean God did that for you? You mean Jesus delivered you? You mean Jesus set you free? You mean you were once wandering in the tombs day and night, and now you're clothed and in your right mind? You mean you used to run around half naked, and now you're clothed and in your right mind? Jesus did that for you? Yeah, Jesus did that for me, and he can do it for you. And they marveled. And one of those churches was in the city of Philadelphia. One of the seven churches listed in the book of Revelation. And I just have to believe, Brother Silvati, that there were members in that church of Philadelphia, that their first encounter, their first time ever hearing about Jesus was when a man who used to be possessed with devils walked through the streets of their city. And let me tell you about the great things that God has done. Let me tell you about the mercy of Jesus. I used to be in the tombs day and night, but now I'm in my right mind. I used to go around half naked, but now I'm clothed. Come on, in the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, God can raise up a church through your testimony God can bring revival to a city through your testimony that's the reason he's not letting you on the boat some of you have been trying so hard to get on a boat you want God to open up doors for you and God is saying no that's not what I need you to do what I need you to do is go back to your oikos 
Because there's a church at Philadelphia that God is trying to raise up, but he's not going to be able to raise them up if you're sitting on a sailboat eating fish and chips. Hallelujah. Can we stand together? All, everybody in this building can do those three things. Not one of those is hard. I mean, it may be hard to do because we're, we're so uh, intimidated. I want to, I want to pray. Listen, our, the things that our world right now is boasting about, and we're ashamed. We're ashamed of our lives being delivered, and our world is boasting about what they're bound by, perversion, out-of-control lust, and they're bragging about that, and yet we're ashamed to tell them. I want to pray tonight the spirit of intimidation be broken. And I want to pray tonight that God would loose this church to do those three things, that we're going to go back to our oikos. We're going to go, if you don't have one, you need to create, you you need to find, start with five. Get you five people. Maybe it's one family of five. That's still five people. Okay? I want you to find you five people in oikos that you can begin to influence. And I want you to look for opportunities to tell them about the great things that God has done in your life. Amen. Don't leave out the bad stuff. You need to tell them about the mercies of God and how that God delivered you and brought you out because it may just be within this church that God is going to raise up a congregate, a Philadelphia church that's still around the book of Revelation unto the church of Philadelphia, right? Unto the church of that first time they ever heard the name of Jesus was this man that had such a powerful testimony. Jesus rescued me from the tombs. Amen. Lord, I pray tonight against spirits of intimidation. I pray against the enemy that would tell people in this congregation that your testimony is not powerful. Lord, I pray for those that are bound by spirits of this world still that They might think tonight it's enough to come and worship. No, it's not enough. You need to be transformed. You need to be changed. We prove the will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do I prove the will of God? Amen. I prove the will of God by my transformation, by my mind changing. I'm not what I used to be. There was a before and there is an after. And it's it's not in your worship. That's not what proves the will of God. It's in your transformation. Come on, somebody, tonight God changed me. I don't want another worship experience. I want a transformation. Lord, I want less of this world and I want more. Listen, if you're in love with this world and you want this world, there ain't nothing I'm going to do to change that. You're going to have to get a hold of God. But if you're in this building tonight and you want more of him, there's more than what you can handle. God has everything that you need tonight. He will transform you. So I want us to pray right now for our oikos. I want you to name five names right now, Lord. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going away.
I'm gonna wait on your shit. 